Welcome to this week's episode of Making Sense of It All with Jesse Stakes. This week's guest is Bruce Breedlove. Bruce has a great story that I'm happy to share with you. He's a self-made person that was able to put himself through nursing school and found ways to exponentially grow his personal wealth by putting his money to work for him in the background while he continued to do the same. This is no knock on Bruce whatsoever, but these are things that we can all do and we can all take advantage of. You don't need to be the smartest guy in the room and you don't need to make a million to be worth a million. Enjoy my conversation with Bruce Breedlove. Let's jump into it. Bruce came to me through a mutual acquaintance of ours, and I I kind of kind of fell in love with his story. I thought it was fascinating, and so I asked him to join me for a podcast, and here he is. So, Bruce, thank you so much for joining me. Absolutely, I'm very excited, Jesse. Thanks for having me on. So, for for my audience, Bruce is kind of a you know one of those stories of pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps and self made, and he's really he really has um, taken the time to you know not only not only learn a craft, but also just, just dive in head first into finance. And he's been real, he's been very successful, like in his own personal journey. So again, I wanted to share it with everybody. So Bruce, I'd love, I'd love to tell my audience your story. If you would, I mean, tell, kind of tell me about your kind of where you started. Tell me, let's start, let's start in your teenage years. Sure. So in my teenage years, when I was in high school, I lived in, in Ohio, uh, moved to Florida, you know, in my early twenties, but at this point I was living in Ohio, best decision I ever made moving out of the Northeast. Uh, for any listeners who are up there, uh, those winters are rough. So um, when I was a kid, unfortunately, my, my parents grew up with, uh, or my, when I was growing up, my parents had, uh, I did better, much better the first time. Um, <laughs> my parents struggled with um, drug and addiction issues, unfortunately. So, you know, they, they struggled taking care of themselves, uh, let alone taking care of my brother and I, uh, who was younger than me when we were growing up. So when I was in high school, I started realizing that looking around the world that I wasn't sort of like other kids, I didn't have what the other kids had. And and I really started to understand I needed to take ownership over my outcomes, right? So I had to grow up at a really uh, early age. I ended up moving out when I was 17. Uh, and, and at that point, I had $1,100 in my bank account. I had been working at Dairy Queen, making you know a few hundred dollars a month, but I was saving it up, saving it up. I had 1100 bucks, and I spent 500 of it on a junky car that was falling apart. So here I am, 17. I have now $600 in my bank account. And, um, I, I had a, <laughs> I was living in a rented apartment that I rented for $0 from my ex-girlfriend's sister. Right. So you're seeing the, the situation here. Anyway, the first night I was on my own, I was still in high school. I remember before I went to bed, I was staring at the ceiling. This is a very pivotal time in my life. And I thought, you know, I was very anxious and I thought this is, this is the crossroads that I'm at right now. I can either have every excuse and I can end up like my parents or, or I can and do everything I need to do and learn everything I need to learn. And I'm going to not have a life like them. And I, I chose that route. So that day, I, I felt this incredible weight on my shoulders to, to own my outcome and be the one that created my own success, right? And, and I mean, as a 17-year-old, looking back, I, I thought, how did I ever do that, right? I had $600 to my name. I wasn't even in college yet. I was still in high school. I, I mean, it just, from that point, I decided I was not going to fail. That's okay, amazing. And I, I can certainly tell you that at 17, I wasn't mature enough to live on my own. So that's kudos to you, sir. <laughs> yeah. 
And so from then, um, you know, I was working, uh, I was still in high school. I was working at Dairy Queen, making a couple hundred bucks a month. And um, really, I was seeking security. Like that, that, what, what I craved most was security. So I, I looked around and I thought, what career, uh, what can I go to college for to get a career that's going to just guarantee me a job, right? That will pay well. So I chose nursing. So um, I did very well in high school. I was, I was lucky enough to finish with a 4.3 GPA, third in my class. And, and I had connected with my guidance counselor at the time, Mr. Duffy. If, if by chance he's listening to this, I, you have, you owe a, I owe you a ton of credit, sir. Uh, but anyway, he helped connect me with um, scholarships and with opportunities for me to write essays and do the work to find money to pay for my college. I went to the University of Akron, a state school that was relatively cheaper than other colleges. I, I graduated in four years with a nursing degree. And I did so much work on the front end to pay for that college that I ended up not paying a dollar for college. I, it was all scholarships and, and grants. And right, I mean, so let's let's stop there for a second, because I think that's a huge point. So you're telling me that you didn't take on any student debt whatsoever? No. So, you know, we have a whole conversation about student debt uh, and we can go into that. But there's so much money out there for, for individuals who apply themselves. It's, it's crazy. If you just do a simple Google search about, you know, grants and scholarships, especially if you represent a minority um, demographic, there's tons of money out there. So the typical way of borrowing your way through school doesn't have to be that way. So absolutely. Very interesting. Yeah, I I think that's probably something that we can talk about in the future. But I think especially in today, it's so topical because there's so many people that are, you know, they're asking the federal government to, to eliminate their student debt. And it's hundreds of thousands of dollars in some cases. And yet, you know, as you're saying, there's money out there, there's opportunities out there to where people, if they want to go to, if they want to go to school, if they want to get an education and they're looking to be professionally employed, there's opportunities out there for them where they have to take on zero student debt. So that's, you know, that's, I think it's very important that people know that. Yeah. And we're, we're facing right now, um, this is topical, as you say, uh, student loan repayments are about to start after the COVID era. So we have 1.5 trillion worth of student debt that is due to start being paid back, minus those who are still in deferment and, and, and will apply for that. However, this is a huge burden on American families. Uh, you know, and the origins of student debt are actually very interesting. It, it goes back to Dwight D. Eisenhower's presidency. You know, he had just signed the New Deal. He he start, he established Medicare and, and these sort of entitlement programs to help the older generation stay out of poverty, right? So in 1958, you know, just, let me just set the stage. Russia had just launched Sputnik into space. So we were horrified that one of the countries that we perceived as an adversary were, were ahead of us in technology. So the, the Eisenhower and the government said, how do, we, how do we fix this problem? So they created the ability to borrow from the government to get educations in science, engineering, and education. Okay. Okay. That's the origin of, of student loans. It was the, the federal government's way to compete in the world marketplace with education because we were, we were perceived as falling behind our adversaries. So less than a decade later, after the height of the space race, th- that same program was widened to include the arts, to include others. So it wasn't limited to degree. You just had to have a major. And so that's where the origin of this problem originated. Because it was, again, it was the federal government's attempt to try to stimulate the education and, and the, the scientific uh, pursuits of our country where this originated. And then fast forward now almost 70 years, we are where we are. Well, and I appreciate you taking that detour with me because I think it's really important for the audience to know that as well. So thank you for sharing. So please continue. I apologize for taking us down that rabbit hole, but but continue with your journey. 
Yeah, I love rabbit holes. So, so uh, fast forward, I'm out of nursing school. I get my first job. I remember my first paycheck was $1,200. And I, like, I, I was thinking, I've never seen this much money in my bank account at once. And so, you know, you know rewind back to where I said I, I, I craved um, comfort. I craved security, right? So my, res- my natural response, having grown up the way I did when I started making this money, is to just hoard it. I was as frugal as possible. I was as I, and, and so through my early 20s, I really didn't enjoy the, the money that I was making. And, and what my goal was just accumulation. Like I need to see that bank account balance go up. I'll feel more secure, more secure. And what I found through those times and, and from reflection in my late 20s is that, you know, that era of my life, I didn't enjoy the things that I should have enjoyed the way I should have enjoyed them because I was focused on preservation of money, right? So what I understand now is I had a scarcity mindset and that scarcity mindset was was grounded in my uh, uh, my my desire to survive. Right when I was younger, I had to do this. But now that I didn't have to do this, it took me seven, eight, nine years to learn my way through that and to realize there was another way of approaching um, money. And that's not a scarcity mindset; it's an abundance mindset. So now I'm in my late twenties. I'm looking around at the world and, and and everything I had fought to learn about money, about myself, about how to manage money in the markets. I looked around and people who had been nurses, you know, 20, 30 years longer than me. And, and, and I'm like, no one knows this stuff. The stuff that I had have learned and implemented in my life and created some success in my 20s, no one knows this stuff. So I started disengaging in conversation and people who had been in the workforce for far longer than me and realized like really the, the average level of true financial understanding is very, very low. So I became really on fire and passionate about teaching other people about it. And then through, and I'm 34 now, from my late 20s to now, I really was coaching people one-on-one about how to, how to uh, help, it, uh, help their own financial situation. So I've gained this, this interest in doing that. So that's me now. You know, over, over the past five years, I did start real estate investing. Uh, we're lucky enough to have a, a portfolio of five cash flowing rental properties here in Jacksonville, Florida. We can talk about that. And um, I've, uh, the interesting thing about this is, you know, we have a net worth that has just hit right around, around 1.8 million. And, and granted, I started when I was $600 and a broken down car when I was 17. Fast forward to now, we're, we're about to hit 1.8 and on track for 2 mil uh, at, the, at the end of this year. So, um, you know, we're diversified. We have, we have lots of strategies that we implement. Um, but, you know, I didn't make more than $100,000 a year until about two, three years ago. So okay. if someone's hearing this and they're thinking like, oh, this guy makes a lot of money as a nurse. Nurses don't make that much money. And, and I just, I, I learned my way through it and implemented and executed every single month. And, and here, I'm here to say that you can do it too. Well, very cool. I th- and I'd love to, I want to take a step back for a second. I kind of want to get back to, you know, you decided to go into nursing and it was, you know, you have experienced success because of everything that you've done with your job and outside of, you know, just your W-2 job. You've also done many other things to create success for yourself. But but why choose nursing in the first place? What was it about about the profession that made you want to go towards that? Yeah, I chose a profession that had job security and market value. And what I mean by those two is, is no matter where the economic cycle is and its journey, everyone is, I mean, people are still going to get sick. Hospitals still need nurses, right? So I, what I perceived at the time by what I understood by the world or from the world was, I would have a job no matter when it was or where I was. So at that time also, I realized I don't want to be in Ohio anymore. So if I get this nursing degree, I can literally go anywhere in the country and there will be a job waiting for me. So that was those two things that I looked at in my my choice of major and really 
nailed that because I was, I was naturally talented in science and math. So that sort of fit with that uh, uh, track and my natural skills. And I was lucky enough to be, to love nursing and be good at it. So it, it all sort of lined up for me in the end, but that was what really drove the choice. Well, and I think that you've kind of, you've stepped out of it a little bit, not necessarily, not necessarily out of medical completely, but into pharmaceuticals, correct? Yeah. So I'm currently a pharmaceutical sales rep. And, and what's great is I took the, the, the skills that I learned as a nurse, you know, at, at the bedside, I did heart and lung transplant. That was my favorite uh, niche that I was involved in and apply all those skills and knowledge to now pharmaceutical sales and helping a greater amount of patients, you know, uh, improve or, or cure their disease with what I have to offer. I got to imagine too, that I know a lot of salespeople who desire to go to go into pharmaceutical sales, but it's, you've got to be a little bit of a unicorn sometimes when you're actually a nurse or a medical professional that goes into the sales side of things. Yeah. It, it might surprise some of the listeners who are not familiar with pharmaceutical sales and the type of people who are in it, but it's, it's, it's salespeople who go into pharma sales. It's not medical people. So right. you're absolutely right. Being the unicorn, I had the natural skill set also to develop my sales abilities with some things that I pursued while I was a nurse. Um, so I could sort of get those chops as well. And then I married all those skills together and moved on to pharma sales. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing. I appreciate it. You know, the, our overall conversation or the reason why I wanted to have you on is is really because of what you have been able to do, not only with the income that you have coming in, but really the fact that you've been able to parlay, you know, a, a very, I don't want to say modest income, but a very normal expected income for a lot of Americans um, into a lot more, into into something much greater. And can you can you share a little bit about how you've been able to do that with my audience? Yeah, so it starts with knowledge, right? So those, the, those of you who are listeners and, and thinking like, I'm scared to invest, I'm scared to to take that next step. I like seeing that money in my savings account. You know, the biggest thing that is the barrier for you is knowledge. Okay. If you try to step into something that you don't understand, it's going to create anxiety. And, and that's what people are trying to avoid. So it, it all is grounded in knowledge. So if you seek out knowledge that helps you understand how to invest, what the risk is, uh, you know, be, become familiar with the market, which is the stock market, you know, it, the market has existed for a hundred years in, in our country. So there is a lot of information available for free to learn how it works at even a rudimentary level. So I would suggest is to just start learning, right? And, and there's so much information available on YouTube for free everywhere. I mean, so the, in the information age, there's really no excuse to take that first step to start learning. And once you start learning, it, you're, it's, it's sort of like this, um, I don't know, a great analogy, but you start pulling a little bit. It's, you know, that the clown that has a bunch of uh, scarves in their mouth, you pull a little bit and there's a little more and you just keep pulling, pulling, pulling. And what you'll realize is eventually you, you have understood so much more than you ever had leading up to that just because you started. So that would be my suggestion is just start learning. Now you're going to force me every single time I think about learning or every, every time I go down you know, a path of wanting to learn something new and now I'm going to see a clown in my head pulling scarves out of its mouth. Thanks for that. Yeah. <laughs> so I get that. Like, I mean, to me, there's a tremendous amount of information out there. It's free. It's, you know, if somebody wants something, they can get it. I'd say one of the, one of the things right now, I think that's, that's a very difficult um, barrier, I guess, for people learning quality, you know, from quality information is there's, there's so much information out there that, you know, it, 
whether you want to call it disinformation or bad information or just bad sources of information, there's a lot of that too. So how do you, how did you go about deciding what sources of information you were going to use to learn from? No, this is great. So let's, let's, let's take the plight of a, of a individual in 2023, trying to learn about investing, right? I'm, 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 I'm realizing I, I, I want to invest my, my income. And, and so what do I do first? I pick up my phone and I go to Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. Let's just take Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok, however. Let, let's leave YouTube out because that's a little bit of a different animal. So, so I'm on the toilet and I'm scrolling through my phone, right? And I, so I, I search real estate investing. And I see all these videos of these people standing out in front of a house, waving their hands, screaming, and numbers are popping up on the screen. And I'm just trying to go to the bathroom and enjoy my time in there. However, you know, so to your point, there's so much information out there and it is impossible at face value to understand what's, what's correct, what's valid. So, so where to start? If I'm seeing these videos from someone, the number one thing I'm going to do is, is look up who they are, right? And, and establish what I love to call their validity. Okay. So what does that mean? Are they valid? Okay. If, if I'm someone who, who is, is unfortunately overweight and I'm giving diet advice to someone, do, do I really seem like someone that should be giving out diet advice? So if, if, if this person is doing more and doing the, and actually doing the thing they're trying to teach and can provide um, uh, result, like true results and verification of those results, that's a great place to start. Okay. So if you can identify someone who is valid in what they're doing, start listening to them. Okay. But then you also have to understand the math and the, and most importantly, the risk that you're taking on doing that thing. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So that, that I would start with validity. And, and so if you can't verify that, move on. There's there's plenty of other creators. So YouTube is a great thing because YouTube typically has longer form content, not these six second hit pieces on TikTok and, and Instagram and Facebook reels. So I would really suggest people go to YouTube, put in the topic you want to learn about and, and watch a few videos of long form videos. It's harder to hide behind long form content because you really have to bring a lot, right? I can fill up a TikTok with exploding noises and, and trending sounds and make it makes it sound really uh, vapid on the, on, the, on the service level. But go to YouTube first and then find a niche that you're interested in, learn everything about it, establish the validity of who you're learning from, and then sort of branch back and see who else you can, you can meet on those, those shorter form sort of hit piece social media uh, platforms like TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook. Very good. No, I appreciate that. You and I kind of talked off camera a little bit about how you view money as well, as far as how you view being able to increase your income exponentially. Can you share a little bit of that with my audience as well? So you're, you know, increasing your income, uh, people have this misperception in our society that, you know, I should make, right? Realistically, the majority of us spend time working for an employer. You know, there was a job opening posted before that job opening was posted, the employer thought to themselves, I need this person that does A, B, C, D, E, F, right? They posted a job, they did some market research, and they, they looked that other people indeed needed that, that need filled in their, their company. So they look at what other companies pay for the person doing A through F, and they establish a market value for your job, okay? So they post the job, they put the salary range, right? And that range depends on how much um, experience you have, et cetera, and it's different for every job. So when we fill a role, we are paid based on the market value of those skills or those problems that you're solving for that employer, right? So I can come in to a company and say, I want to make $120,000, okay, a year. But if the, if, the, if the role that you're filling is solving a problem that in the marketplace has an $80,000 price tag, there's a natural mismatch between what you want to make and what you can make, 
Okay. So how do you change that? Okay. Like you said, I've been able to parlay skills throughout my career to, to build a bigger income. And, and I, again, I, I didn't make six figures in a year until two, three years ago when I moved out of bedside nursing into sales. Okay. So, so take the skill set you're gaining in your current job. Okay. And, and leave this as an open dialogue with your employer. If there's opportunity for you to gain more skills and add more value to them, do it. But if you're someone who's in a job and you're not making what you want to make, look how your skills that you have and what you're an expert at apply to a role that is worth more in the marketplace. And, you know, with LinkedIn learning, with YouTube, with, the, with course careers, which you can find online, there is ways to get certificates and additional education that's not going back to college to increase your worth as an employee. I hope that answers the question. Yeah, it does to a point. But also the, the things that I was more talking about are the things that we've that we talked about off camera when it comes to actually taking, you know, ex- even if you made less as a nurse, you still were taking the income that you made as a nurse and you were helping that income work for you to generate additional income. Yep. Yep. So this is something I love to talk about. It's called the time equals money equation. So let's let's establish some facts first. We, uh, what is our most limited resource time, right? We all have 24 hours in a day. Okay. Now, when we have a job, we go into the job and we work a certain amount of hours to make a certain amount of money, right? So we're, we're, we're establishing here that a certain amount of time is worth a certain amount of money. So if you work hourly, okay, there's a natural cap that you're going to hit in your ability to earn more. Okay. If you work more hours, you earn proportionally more money but you can only work so many hours in the day, right? If you, can only, you can, if you work 16 hours in a day, you got to sleep for eight and then your 24 hours is gone. So the time equals money equation is a concept that allows you, and, and by the way, when you spend your time to make money, that's called active income, okay? Active income is I'm doing something with my time to get money in return, okay? So the time equals money equation says that there's a natural cap to what you can earn when you earn money this way. Okay. So the way to break that time equals money equation is to take that active income that you've made by trading your hours for dollars. And then you take those dollars and you purchase assets that go up in value. Okay. So, so a great example would be, I'm taking the hundred dollars I made from working today. Okay. And I'm buying a share of the S and P 500. Very, very simple uh, example here. So that share of S&P 500, okay, over time is going to go up in value. So I've taken those hours that I spent to make that $100 and I bought something that over time is going to go up without me having to do anything more to that. I don't have to tickle it. I just let it go. So the more, so, so the, really the, the game here is to take your active income and put it in things that go up in value that you don't have to touch. And that's how you break the time equals money equation and then take those dollars that you earned with an hour of your time and make that time or that money worth so much more going forward. That's the game. I, I've heard it explained sometimes in a, in a, a little bit different way too, from some people who do piece work or, you know, if they, if they can, if they can do work quick, quicker, faster then they make their time worth more money. And then also people who are in commission-based jobs, the more money that you can make, if you divide it over a work week, then it, you know, if you can drive that additional income to, you know, if you, if you divide it out hourly, then you're going to get, end up making more money, more money with your time. So I appreciate you sharing that. Bruce, I know we're running out of, we're running out of time right now, but I, I, I would love to have you back on the show because I think we just kind of took one bite at the apple here. I think we got a lot more to talk about. Um, if people, I think if people want to follow you on, on a social media platform, I think you're a great follow on LinkedIn. I think you're a great follow on some of your other platforms. Where can they find you? What's, you know, give, give us one place where it's the easiest way to find you and, and find your best content. 
Yeah. So I, uh, Facebook would probably be the best way. Uh, Instagram would be the second best way. Uh, and you can put those links in the, in the, in the description. If you want, I'll send you those. Um, I, I love having conversations in the open about current events, things that are going on economically and how they affect the normal person. There is so, so, so much noise out there in the news about all these, these big overarching um, titles you see on, on social media or on the news or whatever. And it's easy to sort of read it and move on with your day. And what I like to do is help people understand how that thing that is being talked about is really affecting you on your, you know, your, you or your family or, 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 your, or, or your business. I think that's great. And I think it also creates dialogue. And I think dialogue is where people actually engage and they actually learn things. So again, I appreciate you joining me today and uh, I look forward to our next conversation. Look forward to it, man. Thank you. Of course. Well, once again, I want to thank Bruce for joining the show. That's going to wrap us up for today. Thank you guys for joining us and we'll catch you guys next time.